episode of Cats HQ Podcast. I am John Hale, sitting alongside Fletcher Page. We are the Courier-Journal's UK beat writing team. We're recording this on Friday, March 2nd, so just before Kentucky is about to play their regular season finale at Florida. Uh, Kentucky beat Ole Miss earlier this week. Uh, it's now a week out from the uh, Yahoo Sports reports that tied Kentucky to the NCAA recruiting scandal uh, very tangentially. Uh, I think Kevin Knox, of course, you know by now, was cleared by UK to play. Uh, he's played both of the last two games. Appears to be no issues there. We haven't heard much more about Bam Adebayo or his uh, the allegations tying him to those payments. Uh, so that's obviously still going to be something to watch in the coming weeks. But for now, we're going to shift the focus back to basketball, back on the court. This team has won four games in a row now, heading into a pivotal game at Florida with a lot on the, on the line, uh, depending on Saturday's results in the leagues. Uh, in the league, sorry. Uh, Kentucky could end up anywhere between the three or the five seed in the SEC tournament in St. Louis next week, which of course is important because the three and the four seeds get double buys and don't have to play until Friday, whereas the five seed would have to play on Thursday afternoon. Uh, if they win, they are just the three seed. It's as simple as that because they hold the tiebreaker against Arkansas regardless of what Arkansas does. If Kentucky loses and Arkansas also loses, uh, then they can be the four seed. If Kentucky loses and Arkansas wins, then they're the five seed. That's pretty much as simple as it gets. Uh, but let's look at the actual team, what we saw from Ole Miss this week, Fletcher, and uh, this four-game winning streak. Is it for real? Is Kentucky finally the team that uh, John Calipari seems to have thought they could be all season? Uh, and how important is the Florida game actually for what uh, where what this team's ceiling is? Yeah, I think if you want to take a pessimistic approach, you'd say, well, who has Kentucky actually beaten during this four-game winning streak, right? I mean, you've got a couple teams that are in the tournament, um, but not exactly high up on the line, and then uh, a couple of other teams that are sort of, like Ole Miss especially, that's sort of struggling. But if you want to go optimistic, I think this four-game winning streak, Kentucky's kind of shown – um, some different, uh, you know, there's been some different themes in each of these wins. There was a, a, a double digit comeback on the road at Arkansas. I thought that was impressive, especially the second half, of course. And then the old Miss game, if you want to frame that one up, you kept telling me during, during the game, like this is the moment where Kentucky got punched or pushed and thrown around a little bit. A team came in that wanted to sort of play physical and beat them up. And you could say a little bit dirty, Obviously, there were five technicals called in the game, three on Ole Miss, and Kentucky was able to answer that physicality and, and get another win. So I don't think that the results might impress people like somebody in Oregon or Seattle uh, just looking at it. Uh, but if you watched each of these four games, there's been some different trends that I think you'd have to like. Yeah, I think that winning at Arkansas, that was a big one. Obviously, Arkansas is a good team. Uh, I think blowing out Missouri was impressive, although maybe they're not as good as, as they have been at various points in the season. Uh, I would not put much stock in the Alabama game because Alabama yeah. has kind of tailed off here, and then obviously Ole Miss is not very good. Uh, so even though, like I said during the game, you mentioned there, it was impressive that they withstood that physicality and they withstood uh, what appeared to be a team just trying, you know, with nothing to lose at all and just going in there and, and trying to, uh, maybe make those young Kentucky players lose their composure. And for the most part, they didn't, other than waiting Gabriel shoving a dude that uh, dunked on top of him. Uh, but other than that, I thought they handled it pretty well. But at the end of the day, that's still a terrible Ole Miss team that has already lost its coach that had a player ejected in, before the first media timeout. So you absolutely need to win that game convincingly at Rupp Arena, which they did, uh, even though Ole Miss, I think, rallied back from two different double-digit deficits to pull within one possession. Uh, Kentucky withstood both of those those kind of charges and ended up winning pretty comfortably, which was good. 
But this Florida game on Saturday, I think, is the real test for if this Kentucky team has turned a corner uh, and has become a team that could make a run to Elite Eight, you know, maybe if everything fell the right way like it did in 2014, make a run to a Final Four. Florida has not been great themselves uh, for most of the second half of the SEC schedule, but they have kind of turned it on in the last week. They beat Auburn. They blew out Alabama. Uh, so that's a team that seems to be trending in the right direction as well. So I'll be really interested to see. And as, as John Calabrese said after the Ole Miss game, they've gone to Gainesville a few times and gotten absolutely smashed since he's been here. It's going to be one of the more difficult environments they've played in all year. Uh, so how this young team handles that I think will be really interesting to see Saturday. Obviously you're not going to play in front of a crowd like that in postseason play. So that part of it is not much of a concern. But against the best team they've probably played in this stretch since they started winning again. Uh, it's time to see if Kentucky can go out and, and establish themselves as, as a real contender, not only in St. Louis next week, but also uh, to make a deep run in, in, in the real tournament uh, in two weeks from now. Yeah, something that you just hit on there, the, you don't play road games in the NCAA tournament. That's something John Calipari has said you know, frequently during his tenure at Kentucky. But something changed with this, with this particular group. I thought it was interesting a couple weeks ago, Calipari started quoting Kenny Payne saying that good teams can go on the road and get wins, which deviates from Cal's sort of overall take on if, if there's something you know bigger to draw from a loss on the road. So I, what I think it indicates is that they're, they're still trying to – I think that they're, they're still trying to push buttons and get these – and test these guys mentally. Um, and I think that it was a little bit telling that Calipari said that he specifically did not – bring up how important not losing to Ole Miss was. And I think that that's an indication before the game. And he said after the game, it was the biggest game of the year. And I know a lot of people probably rolled their eyes when they saw that on Twitter without context. But if if they would have lost that game, it would have signified a lot. And it also would have been damaging to their seating in the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament. But I think think it's a little bit telling that Cal's still worried about their confidence or maybe putting too much pressure on them, their composure, their poise. And so they're going to get that tested, obviously, at the O'Connell Center. And it might not mean a lot in terms of the environment yeah. that they'll get later, but it still sort of is a, a work in progress for this team mentally. Yeah, I think what he said at the pregame press conference before Ole Miss was basically, if you don't think this team could still revert, then you're crazy. Because as young as they are and as inexperienced and all the issues that he's been fighting through all season, uh, absolutely this team could go out and lay an egg. And I think there were points during the Ole Miss game where you thought, oh, maybe this is it, especially after that first barrage and – it looked like they were going to win comfortably, then almost pulled it close. And then in the second half when they were up 10 and, and Gabriel got dunked on, then had the technical foul, and all of a sudden it's a three-point game. You go, oh, wait, maybe this is this is one of those moments where this team hasn't quite figured it out. They handled it. They ended up winning comfortably, obviously. But the the potential is, is still clearly there for them to go out and have a bad game, which is why I think you can't necessarily assume that this team is going to make a deep tournament run. Uh, just because Calipari has done it before in 2011 and 2014 where he turned around teams that struggled in the regular season and and made it to the Final Four. The margin of error, and I've said this a few times throughout the year, for those teams during that those tournament runs was still th- so thin that if at any point one play or two plays or in the 2014 team's uh, case four plays <laughs> over the course of four games had gone just the opposite way, then they could have been out early or out uh, may, way earlier than the Final Four at least. And I think that's the problem with this current team that you've got to worry about. Yes, I think that if they play to their potential, if this lineup that we've seen uh, with the the five guys who can score and, and Jared Vanderbilt in there uh, works as it has and Wayne Gabriel and Hamadou Diallo and, 
and maybe one of the big guys contributes, then absolutely they have the potential and the talent and the athleticism to make a Final Four run. But they also could just have a night where they, you know, shot three for 12 from three-point range and, and just didn't have it and lose in the second round. So it, it, it's a team that I don't think you can feel safe predicting any sort of outcome. But at least now versus two weeks ago, uh, there's an optimistic way to look at it where I think, you know, during at the end of that four-game losing streak, you were basically like, if they make it out of the first weekend, it's going to be a miracle. Right. And certainly after, after – so after that Auburn game, that, that was the, the, the bookend on the four-game losing streak – there was a players-only meeting. That's the, that's the cliche thing that happens in those trying times. They get the players-only meeting. But that coincided with John Calipari better defining roles for each player. And what that led to was uh, the offense sort of shifted to running through two players. That would be Kevin Knox and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. That's probably obvious. I think those two guys, outside of foul trouble, those two guys are going to play 35-plus yeah. minutes every game from here on out. But <clears throat> it also, maybe that sort of, um, emboldened or empowered uh, some of the other guys around him. I just wanted to read off since that time. Uh, Quade Green has scored in double figures in each of these in each of the past four wins. He's had 12, 12, 12, and 18. Um, obviously, I think he's clearly proven himself to be the best shot maker on the team. He's also hit it, hit two three pointers in each of those games. That's big. Uh, but I think maybe a little bit more subtle has been PJ Washington. He scored in double figures in each of the past four games. And he's also grabbed at least five rebounds, too, coming off the bench. So I know Jared Vanderbilt sort of obviously the newest newest thing to talk about, and deservedly so, his rebounding is, is completely unbelievable almost. Um, that's been a big boost off the bench. But to be able to turn and have P.J. and Quad A come off the bench, too, and doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing and maybe not trying to do too much, I think has led to this team scoring 81 points in the in, or more in each of the past four games. You, it's interesting you bring up the the bench part there. My question for this team heading into postseason play, uh, and obviously right now it, it's hard to criticize Cal because it's not broke, so why worry about you know tweaking things even more? But it's pretty clear we've established over the last four games that their best lineup is uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Quadi Green, Kevin Knox, PJ Washington, and Jared Vanderbilt. That five together. And I think maybe even a couple weeks ago on the podcast we talked about maybe you just throw an offense out there or a lineup that can score and hope they don't give up so many points that they can outscore teams. And it appears that they've done that a little bit. The defense has actually been better too. The question is, why are three of the five players in your best lineup coming off the bench? And at what point do you have to start starting that lineup so you don't worry about getting down early or you put your best foot forward to begin with? Obviously, if they end up playing, you know, 30 minutes apiece, all those guys are 27 minutes, whatever it may be, then it doesn't matter a ton. But is there a point where you would consider uh, moving Diallo, moving Gabriel, moving Nick Richards back to the bench and starting the game with your best five out there? Yeah, I think Cal's been juggling. He didn't want to lose Diallo in terms of what confidence and uh, ability. Uh, And I think that 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 paid off. I know it it was painful to watch at times in a struggle. I'm sure fans went crazy. But that paid off because he, he certainly played better against Ole Miss um, and Missouri. And Missouri. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Nick Richards has been – it just seems like it's not translating. You know, Kenny Payne mentioned to us that he's been great in practice, great in workouts, and for some reason he's, he's got no confidence during games. And I, maybe there's – maybe it works out. You know, obviously Van, Jared Vanderbilt coming off the bench makes sense uh, with him returning in January. Um, PJ was the one I was most worried about in yeah. terms of – you know, psychology, but it seems to have, have maybe taken some pressure off of him. I, I say just roll with it. 
It's not uh, about who starts, right? It's who finishes. There you go. Uh, I, I and it's and honestly, it's not been an issue in the four games. It's not like they've been getting in holes or whatever and, and having to fight yeah. back like they were at one point this season. So I'm probably with you as long as as it keeps working, then go with it. But I will be interested to see if they lose at Florida Saturday or were to lose a game in the SEC tournament. Uh, if maybe that's the move he makes going into postseason play to say, oh, we've got we had to make one last little tweak or whatever to get mm-hmm. it going on, and this is what we're going to do. Uh, you mentioned Nick Richards there and how bad he's been recently. Uh, Sasha Kalea Jones, his his main backup, if if you're just looking like for like at the five, there has barely played uh, in the last you know three weeks or so, especially since he missed that game to go to his grandfather's funeral. He actually I think played five minutes in the game before that. Uh, then did not play the next game after he came back and has been 5-7, five, 5-7 seven, five, seven his minutes. He's not played uh, more than seven minutes since the first Missouri game when he played 21. So he's basically become a non-factor. But Cal keeps mentioning him too in that in the same breath as Nick Richards. Like we need one – there's going to be a game where we need one of those guys to step up. I think it's clear they think it's Nick Richards if it's going to happen because they're just not playing Sasha very much anymore. But do you buy that idea that they need one of those big guys to – be a contributor or to at least have a game and Isaac Humphreys kind of game or whatever where they come in and to, to make this run that there's going to be a point where they need one of those big guys to step up and play like we've seen them do at times this year. Yeah. I think it just depends on, on matchups. You know, Cal has, has mentioned many times after games this season, this wasn't a game for Nick. Yeah. Well, maybe at some point there will be a game for Nick. We'll just have to see who they end up matching up against, but you're right. I think Isaac Humphreys, nobody could have been more, guess maybe had the potential to be down on himself and Isaac. I mean, we spent, yeah. you know, the entire la- last March talking about how he was going to transfer and asking him questions. Least, yeah, yeah, he was going to leave, go pro or transfer. Or, uh, and so he was getting all those questions, and he still in that North Carolina game was able to rise to the occasion and have probably the best game of his career. Absolutely, yeah. And so I, I think that that's maybe that's a lesson for Sasha. I know that's easier to say uh, than to actually stay in it mentally. But, yeah, I mean, I think at some point, Especially to the propensity for this team to get in foul trouble. Right. That's the, that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. What kind of lineup do would or what kind of opponent I guess would Kentucky need to play to where those two guys would come in? Because it seems like the default now is basically start Nick. Uh, if it's not going well for Nick, which it has not been recently, then just go small. And and maybe I think I mean Sasha played seven minutes against Ole Miss, which is his most minutes in you know almost a month. But that's it. Seems like the the default is just to to throw Vanderbilt and Washington and Gabriel uh, out there in some combination at the four and the five uh, and just see what you can do with those smaller, more athletic guys, especially Vanderbilt, who has been you know, such a beast rebounding and, and defensively and passing and all those things. Uh, is there a scenario, though, where, where that group of three guys, unless obviously all of them are in foul trouble, uh, isn't the best option for Kentucky as opposed to a, a Nick Richards or, or Sasha Kalea Jones out there? I think for Nick um, – it's pretty clear that like his best performances recently, you know, he hasn't scored. He's only scored one point in the past three games, but you know, he had, he had double figures against Vanderbilt, Alabama and South, South Carolina. Two of those three teams have like no big presence. Right. So in that situation, he was able to make the most of his opportunities. And in, 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 you know, he is Nick's an efficient offensive player when he gets opportunities. He made three or four baskets. He's really good at the free throw line. So maybe a situation where, you know, you can take advantage of that size in the paint. But it was interesting to me the way that Calipari played that Auburn game where Auburn has zero f- real big presence. Their biggest player, I believe, in that game was six foot seven, yeah. Macklemore, and he's since been injured. 
And and Calipari actually opted to go small to to go with right. Auburn there instead of maybe trying to go against right. it. And that was actually to me a huge like red flag. Right. Because usually he always talks about always just worrying about Kentucky, not trying to adjust to another team. But since that time, uh, they've actually played better. So honestly, at this point, I think you you leave Nick in the starting lineup. See how he's go- see how he's going from the start. Maybe you get a couple of those easy lob dunks from Shea drives. And just take what you can get. I don't think there's going to be a, a Nick game moving yeah, forward. Yeah, I, I have a hard time believing that we're going to see either of those guys have a, a a big game where where they help you know Kentucky win or whatever. I could see a game where Nick Richards comes out and has you know six points and six rebounds or something like that, and is a contributor. And and then they bring him out after right. the game and say, "Oh, look how important yeah, Nick yeah, is, yeah. and we wouldn't have won without Nick." But I don't think there's going to be an actual game. Yeah. Where or or a situation where Nick Richard is actually the guy who wins your yeah. game or whatever. Well, I think he, he's so offensively limited. It's just basically down right. to dunks right now uh, that, you know, winning Gabriel, I think is a better shot blocker. Right. And Jared Vanderbilt and PJ have proven to be better rebounders. So right. there's not a lot of drop off in those other areas. Yeah. And if, and if Jared Vanderbilt is making the plays around the basket uh, like he is now and, and was not for the first, you know, seven or eight games that he, uh, that he was playing for Kentucky, then there's not really any reason at all. I mean, that the the red flag about Vanderbilt was basically that you know he couldn't hit a shot, and I think now in his last uh, four games, as I pull it up here, he is he was two for four against Ole Miss, so he's uh, thirteen for seventeen, roughly. That's uh, a good quick man. Yeah, in, in in his last four games since the end of that uh, Alabama game where he made three straight to end there. So like, yeah. if you're shooting at that percentage from Vanderbilt, and it's clear, it's not like he's shooting a lot better. He just stopped taking shots that weren't yeah. basically dunks or tip-ins or really, really, really easy layups, which even those he was missing at one point in the season. So if he can do that for you, if Jared Vanderbilt can give you 11 points, which he did for three games in a row against Alabama, Arkansas, Missouri, then and, and also rebound the way he does, I, I just don't see any reason at all to, to play someone else other than the fact that Vander, we don't know exactly what Vanderbilt's conditioning is. He still hasn't played more than 27 minutes in a game. Uh, how big a concern is that for you heading into postseason play, especially next week when they're going to have to play probably three or four games in a row back to back to back, and then the tournament they're going to have to play, you know, with a game in between? Is is Vanderbilt ready uh, to step up and play those kind of minutes in in that short a time span? That's a good question. I, I was about to dismiss it, but I I realized that now when you're going to have to play the SEC tournament, especially three right. games in three days potentially is you know unfair for a player like Jared. Uh, but my biggest concern with that whole group is just foul trouble. Uh, Gabriel has proven to have some issues there, Nick Richards especially, and Vanderbilt and P.J. Uh, I thought P.J. was just begging for a technical against Ole Miss. So those those guys have got to be cognizant of that and stay away from it. All right, let's shift focus a little bit uh, to the the big tournament afterwards, uh, put our forward thinking caps on. Uh, It appears that almost every uh, bracket projection at this point, uh, if you want to look at ESPN or you want to look at CBS or you want to look at uh, our favorite uh, bracketmatrix.com, which you know amalgamates all of these different brackets from across the, the interwebs, uh, has Kentucky basically as a five or a four, a high five, low four. Uh, is there a scenario where you think they could get higher than that um, in, in the tournament? Because I know that John Calipari has kind of dismissed the idea that the SEC tournament means anything based on results the last few years. Uh, so I don't know, and especially that Sunday game doesn't appear to mean much. Would beating, winning at Florida Saturday be enough to get Kentucky up into the three range, or, or do you think they're kind of locked into that four or five game right now? Yeah, I think if they could beat Florida, they could get to the four. But then you run into that situation where you've got to pass teams. It's not just right. It's just not about raising your profile. So 
you look at some of the teams on the three line. It's Auburn, Tennessee, Cincinnati, West Virginia. That seems to be the most uh, consistent four there. Uh, Kentucky will get a crack potentially at, at Tennessee and Auburn. I don't think, though, uh, in the past we've seen that the, that these conference tournaments just it just doesn't quite do enough to move you up. And Kentucky's already lost to Tennessee twice, lost to Auburn, although that was on the road. Uh, on the four line is Wichita State, Clemson, Texas Tech, and Ohio State. So I think Kentucky could get to the four. It's hard for me to believe that they're going to get to the three. Yeah, and at that point, four or five doesn't really matter because right. you're playing the same. I mean, I guess the first round you might play an easier team, but you're going to have to play whichever one. In the second round, you're going to be in the same tournament pod uh, location-wise. I'm going to steal this question from uh, our friend Curtis Birch, who asked it on the SEC Country Podcast, which you should definitely not listen to ever or download. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, it's it's really bad. No, that's that's not true. Uh, but Curtis asked uh, Kyle on, on their podcast the other day, basically, if you're Kentucky, would you prefer to have a better seed in a more distant location or to drop a seed line or two and play closer to Lexington? And so for me, that scenario basically means uh, if you look at the, the bracket matrix, lists and you go down the, the line of the S-curve or whatever, and, and, and the way they do it is they assign basically the number one one seed gets the closest pod, uh, the number two one seed gets the next closest pod, and you go down, and each destination, so there are eight different tournament sites, can only host two pods. So if you're at the four and the five line, uh, the top 20, 25 teams are so heavily concentrated basically east of the Mississippi that it gets down to the point where uh, whoever is in that four or five line is almost guaranteed to be in Boise, Idaho, uh, and San Diego, California, just because so many East Eastern teams uh, have taken up the Nashvilles, the Charlottes, the Detroits, the Pittsburghs. Uh, so then you get down to Dallas and Wichita and the three kind of line, uh, and and then San Diego, Boise are almost universally at that four or five spot. For Kentucky, though, if they fell to maybe a six seed. Uh, there's a possibility that there might be a, a Nashville bracket that fell that low or uh, especially if they fell to a seven seed, but I don't think that's going to happen at this point. Would it be better for Kentucky to be a six or, you know, a low six, whatever, in, let's say, Wichita than it would be, or, or Nashville, if that could absolutely happen? Obviously, if they were in Nashville, that's probably better, but that's that's probably not going to happen, as opposed to being the four or five in Boise. Yeah, see, I'm going to base it. This is probably not the way to base this answer, but... I see Middle Tennessee as an 11 seed, yep. and I think that's the kind of team that could run Kentucky out of this tournament. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to fall to six and have to play Middle Tennessee in Nashville. Uh, I think that. I it's, think that. And there's a possibility of that six level two. You you might have to play the play-in game, and we've seen those teams mm-hmm. that just barely squeak in the field. I think almost every year since they added that 11 seed play-in game, yeah. those teams have made it. At least one team has made it to the second weekend, so those are dangerous squads too. Right, I, I think that Kentucky's fan base is is good enough that that I don't. There'll be obvious drop off, and Nashville's just crazy with Kentucky fans. There'll be obviously drop off in San Diego or Boise, but I still think that they'd hold enough of an advantage that it'd still be a it'd still be a beneficial for them no matter where they're at. We will be there regardless of of what tournament site they're at, so uh, we might be rooting for a farther away site. I'm rooting for San Diego. Yeah, there might be less competition, less other people there, so you definitely would need to follow us on Twitter and at CourierJournal.com to uh, read all our coverage. But, uh, yeah, I I think at this point, uh, best-case scenario uh, for Kentucky location-wise is if they got up to like a a low three seed and ended up in Dallas or Wichita, uh, which Wichita is probably maybe off the board too because Kansas is up there. Uh, in Wichita State, or is ahead of them too. Uh, but maybe Dallas is the closest you're going to get. 
Uh, and so at that point, I just assume uh, get the easier route, the four or five. Uh, yeah, you got to play the one seed uh, earlier in the tournament than you would at another point, but uh, I, I don't think it really matters at this point three to five where Kentucky's going to end up, which appear to be the most likely options in the tournament for me, at least. We'll see. We will see. Uh, the other big piece of news this week, um, not big news, but in the kind of fallout of the uh, NCAA recruiting scandal investigation, and obviously, like we mentioned at the top, Kentucky getting tied to that uh, on Tuesday, so the day before the Ole Miss game, uh, we asked John Calipari at his press conference basically what he thought uh, should happen, how they could change the rules. Mark Emmert, the NCAA president, opened the uh, door to changing the agent rule moving forward. Uh, obviously, in hockey and baseball, you can have agents to negotiate deals with you uh, when you get drafted out of high school. So maybe that would be something that basketball and football could look at, and that seems to be a real possibility from this commission on fixing college basketball. Uh, and Cal said he agreed with that. He said he thought the Players Association should be able to loan these guys money uh, and basically said his favorite line, you know, it's not communism, which he says about, you know, every issue. Uh, and, and if you, he said, if you want a home loan and you can't get a home loan, then you're just out of luck. So the argument that, you know, X player at, you know, X mid-major can't get a loan from the Players Association and, you know, six guys at Kentucky can doesn't hold any merit because that's just how the American economic system works. Uh, and those guys who are going to be NBA pros can get loans from the agents and, and players associations or whatever else. And other guys can't. And you're just going to have to get over that. What did you think of Cal's solutions? Do you think they hold weight? Uh, do you think there's any chance that the NCAA actually adopts any of those things? Uh, are they the, or is it just Cal uh, being Cal and, and, and saying things that he said many, many, many times before? No, I, I think that I typically agree with Cal because, and whether he's doing this because it looks good and it's for recruiting or whether he genuinely believes it. And I think it's probably both. It's always he always focuses on the players and what's right for the players. He really does, at least in this instance. Right. I don't. I don't agree with him when he says let them go pro out of high school, or if they come to college they have to stay two years. Right. I'm still in favor of them having the upward mobility at any time. Just but, whatever you want to go. Right. But in this instance, I mean, how hard, how difficult would it really be to allow a family to take a loan if they've been given a pro grade or a, or they have pro potential from through. And I, I really like the idea of tying it through the NBA players association right. <clears throat> that keeps these things a little bit more transparent than what we're currently dealing with in dinners and meetings that are behind closed doors with agents that we're not really sure about. Um, so I agree with that. It, to me though, I'll, maybe you know more about this and, and this might could tease for next week. Maybe we could talk about this since we're going to be doing a lot of podcasting yes. from St. Louis. It seems like in baseball you've got many tiers of minor league right? and you have the option to go to college and you have this summer league and fall league. Yeah. Soccer has these academies. Yep. Uh, I'm not exactly sure about hockey, but in basketball it just seems like there's not as much you know, opportunity for education. There's not as much uh, interaction with agents like you can in right. baseball and things like that. So uh, I think these kids need more help. I think they need advisors. I think that some of these families need help navigating this situation because it's it's very difficult. Especially like just take right. like uh, take Jared Vanderbilt and Shea Gilgis Alexander. Shea was on nobody's radar coming into this season. I don't know what his family knows about you know how to deal with potentially going pro or staying in college. Jared Vanderbilt was a guy who's in the lottery at some, right. in some places. He gets injured. You need some help in discussing these things and evaluating where your situation is. So I think that I agree with Calipari that 
that maybe we need to look at that. Yeah, I think that that's where you start for sure. There are going to be need to be many, many changes to make this work, and and then you got to figure out if you're going to give amnesty at some point and just say we got we're starting fresh. But I think that where you start first is to let players have representation because they need to be able to to go to someone they trust, someone who frankly has their own you know economic stake in their success or failure and is obviously rooting out for their best interest to make these decisions and to go forward. Then you can open the door to, you know, getting compensated for your likeness rights and autographs and, and whatever else we're going to do and, and bring in the shoe companies and, and all those sorts of things. But that's where you start. It, it, there's nothing, I think Jay Billis, uh, if you read our story about Cal's comments on the, the website or in the print edition, if you can still find it, uh, Jay Billis told us a few weeks ago when he was in town for, for game day, there's nothing inherently wrong with agents. And all these people who are saying that agents are bad have agents themselves because they serve a very important role to, to negotiate contracts and look out for all those things. Uh, so to have, if you open the door and make it legal, then you have agents who are actually legitimate and making the best decisions advising these players. Whereas now, if you cut them off completely, the agents who are still obviously involved and throwing money around in ways uh, are the guys who are just willing to, you know, say, ignore the rules and do whatever else. And, and maybe that opens these people uh, and their families to, to more you know shady elements and, and people who aren't looking for their best interests. So I think to start with the agent issue and making agents available to players is where you start. And hopefully we'll see that soon. Calipari expressed some doubt that the NCAA moves quickly on anything. Uh, but Mark Emmert did say that this is something they need to address before next season, basically, or the, the trust in college basketball will continue to erode. So we'll see. Uh, obviously, these are going to be huge topics throughout the postseason. Uh, we mentioned it before when they get to NCAA tournament sites and, and national reporters and whoever else are there writing their big think pieces about what's wrong with college basketball and how to fix it. And if there's going to be a tainted title or final four appearance or whatever this season, uh, you're going to hear a lot about this moving forward. And we'll talk about it on the podcast and write about it in the website and in the print edition. Uh, so make sure you're looking out for all that. But we promise there will also be basketball talk like there was today. Uh, next week in St. Louis, uh, we will podcast before the SEC tournament uh, and then heading uh, into postseason play. We will probably podcast uh, after before slash after every game uh, as long as Kentucky is in the tournament field. Maybe we'll be back early next week with a, with an SEC tournament preview. Uh, but for now, uh, thanks for listening. I'm at John Hill underscore CJ. He's at Fletcher Plage. We will talk to you next week.